Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture. A better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. National Hispanic Heritage Month continued with the California Department of Food and Agriculture's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee hosting a panel of Hispanic leaders working at the California Department of Food and Agriculture. CDFA Undersecretary Christine Birdsong moderated the panel, which included CDFA Marketing Services Director Kathy Diaz-Cretu and two veterinarians with CDFA's Animal Health Branch, Dr. Everardo Mendez and Dr. Ricardo Gayton. They shared stories about their unique paths to CDFA from families originally from Ecuador, Brazil and Mexico, and they spoke about how their public service includes protecting and preserving the very cultures and backgrounds of California licensees and consumers through their work. They recounted fulfilling assignments like emergency response at California's fairgrounds and the inspection of custom slaughterhouses that serve the state's diverse population by observing and safeguarding religious and cultural practices relating to the preparation of meat and other animal products. Harvest has begun on California's kiwi crop. They started a bit later with their haywork crop, and everything has been late this year. That, according to Al Bates, president of Sun Pacific Shippers. He says they've picked a little bit, but the bricks aren't fully there yet. Overall, across the industry, the crop has been a little bit lighter than average. It's projected to be about 8% below the five-year average. However, that average includes the 2022 crop, one that was already light when an early frost set in and affected many of the vines. In all last year's volume on Haywar kiwis from California was down over 30% versus normal. Part of this year's lighter crop is due to the challenging few years that California has seen in weather, including the tremendous amount of rain the state has seen in recent months. He says he does not think it has affected kiwis as much as it did other crops, but there's still an impact. The size has been a little bit smaller and that affects the total yield, he says, noting he thinks that the quality of the water in the past could be part of this as well. Up until the last nine months, they've had to use a lot of groundwater, which has poor quality compared to getting water from one of the canal systems. He says it's much better sizing, so he attributes that to the extreme heat in the summer and the water quality that they've had to irrigate with over the past few years. Along with Hayward, which is the majority of kiwi grown in the state, this year's Sun Pacific will also have more red kiwis available, a variety that is increasingly going to have more availability in the coming years. In all, harvest should go up in late November. As for demand, Bates believes it will be good, particularly as the transition is underway to the Southern Hemisphere for numerous crops, meaning there is not an oversupply of imported kiwi right now. As for pricing, it should be some Somewhat similar to last year, he says they try to factor in their production costs, which every year go up. He says if they kept the price the same, their margins would shrink significantly over time. JD Food, a leading Central California independent food distributor, has transformed the digital ordering experience for its diverse customer base through a successful collaboration with Pepper, a cutting-edge technology company specializing in solutions for independent food distributors. Mark Ford, CEO of JD Food, commented saying the partnership with Pepper has been transformative for their operations and customer service. He says thanks to Pepper's innovative e-commerce solutions, they've been able to streamline their business processes, deliver an effortless ordering experience for their 
their customers and heighten the value of their locally sourced quality focused products. JD Food, renowned for its comprehensive food offerings from fresh produce and specialty goods to USA processed meats at their affiliated company Certified Meat Products, serves a broad clientele including restaurants, hotels and healthcare providers. The implementation of Pepper's robust online catalog and payment platform has propelled JD Food to new heights in business efficiency and customer satisfaction. Derek Patterson, Vice President of Partnerships at Pepper, said they are incredibly pleased with the outcomes of the collaboration with JD Food, a company well-respected for its commitment to quality and community. The partnerships have markedly improved JD Food's digital capabilities, enhanced customer satisfaction, and contributed to their ongoing growth. Customers now enjoy a streamlined digital ordering experience powered by Pepper's user-friendly interface, making it easier than ever to browse JD Foods' extensive product catalog, place orders, and interact with dedicated sales representatives. According to the company, they have been serving Central California since 1974 and are focused on local sourcing and high-quality offerings. Earlier this year, Westside Produce of Fireball California and Classic Fruit announced their strategic alliance to provide melons to customers 52 weeks a year. To lead the branding and marketing of their new program, they hired Tara Monreal to step into an all-new role as marketing director. It's vital they continue building the alliance's brand and communicate to its customers in order to express now being able to provide an uninterrupted supply of fresh melons to them all year long. That according to Monreal. The alliance is a pioneer in the melon industry and she is thrilled to help tell that story and build those relationships with their partners. She brings a plethora of marketing and communications experience coming from her previous role at the Walt Disney Company, where she worked for their international communication segment with a background in market research. Her role includes the responsibility of taking a lead on all marketing activities, including branding and positioning, and providing support to the sales team in business development and customer service. The implementation of this new position will benefit in elevating the Alliance's mission and goals, according to an Alliance release. The Bureau of Land Management has announced the agency is seeking public input on the draft Northwest California Integrated Resource Management Plan and Environmental Impact Statement for Public Lands Managed by the Redding and Arcata Field Offices. This follows a recent letter from U.S. Representative Jared Huffman of California to the Department of the Interior supporting implementation of the proposed rule, and the plan includes proposals championed by Huffman in his Northwest California Wilderness Recreation and Working Forest Act. He says that this management plan shows promising momentum for an issue that is so important to his constituents, to Californians, and the millions of visitors who come to experience these spectacular wild places the state has to offer. He says he's been working towards a future for Northwest California where public lands are restored and protected and communities can thrive in a healthy environment. He says he's grateful to see that many of the proposals and requests he's made ended up in the preferred plan. It's another step in the right direction for guaranteeing environmental values are preserved for future generations and he hopes everyone makes their voices heard during the comment process. The Northwest California's Integrated Resource Management Plan will guide management of approximately 382,200 acres of public land and approximately 295,100 acres of subsurface minerals in Del Norte, Siskiyou, Shasta, Humboldt, Mendocino, Trinity, Tehama, and Butte counties for the next 15 to 20 years. The integrated plan will replace the resource management plans for the Redding and Arcata field offices put into place in the mid-1990s.
The need for a new resource management plan is due to increasing population and changing use patterns to provide for a broad array of recreational uses, wilderness management, and to protect and preserve wild and scenic rivers and areas critical to environmental concerns. It will also consolidate BLM-managed public lands to conserve significant resources while providing public access. Cecilia Packing, based in Orange Grove, California, has signed an agreement to upgrade its packing equipment to include an electronic sorter and grater being manufactured and installed by Riemann Sorting USA. They are thrilled to partner with Cecilia Packing, according to Tom Summers, Riemann Sorting USA General Manager. He says they look forward to continued growth and innovation. They will exhibit at the upcoming International Fresh Produce Association Global Produce and Floral Show, which will take place October 19th through the 21st in Anaheim. Also among those who are taking place in the upcoming International Fresh Produce Association's Global Produce and Floral Show is the California Avocado Commission. Since the show timing is after the 2023 California Avocado season, CAC will preview plans for the 2024 season. It's too early to accurately predict next year's crop size and timing, but expectations are that peak availability of California avocados will continue to be spring through the summer. Smart growers know sustainability means managing pests at the same time they manage other priorities in their fields, which is why smart growers know Certus Biologicals. For more than 20 years, Certus Biologicals has been the world's leader when it comes to biological pesticides, delivering proven solutions that keep operations sustainable and growing. Learn more at CertusBio.com. The near-record rain and snow of last winter continue to benefit the state as most reservoirs are above historic average. October 1 kicked off the beginning of the 2024 water year in California, and David Guy, president of the Northern California Water Association, says the current supply status just reinforces the safety net storage provides for all users. Groundwater levels also have benefited from the storms in some places, having somewhat or fully recovered. But he says underground supplies in some other areas are being closely watched as they haven't come up as much. Happy new water year. Always a big time and exciting to kind of look to the future. And it's particularly, I think, exciting this year because we're starting 2024 water year with this amazingly robust surface water supplies in the reservoirs. I think for some numbers, obviously, the Central Valley Project has more than 8 million acre feet of water in storage, which is double what it had last year. State Water Project, Oroville, is at about two and a half million acre feet. So, and, you know, I think statewide, I think we're about 130% of statewide historical average for surface water supplies. So, obviously, a great place to start the, uh, the water year with respect to storage. You know, I think groundwater is obviously a little bit different dynamic, uh, depending on where you are uh, throughout the state. Uh, there are some areas the groundwater has recovered or is in really good uh, conditions. And then there's other areas, obviously, where people are going to be watching the, the groundwater conditions a little bit uh, more closely. So, but it sure is nice to have that surface water in reservoirs. And it just really is a nice, healthy reminder of how important surface storage is in California for farming, for cities, for disadvantaged communities, for the environment you know, whatever recreation, it really serves everybody. And thank God we have good surface storage. In preparation for the upcoming historic rainy season, some reservoir operators have already begun letting out water to achieve required flood protection pools. Guy says the good news is, is even if this winter is dry, the reservoirs have enough water and storage for next year. 
Well, the good news is on that is that uh, Lake Shasta, which has obviously been, you know, a focal point over the last uh, three dry years, there's been a lot of pressure on Lake Shasta this year. Shasta supplies were uh, so good that they're going to actually have to release some water uh, here over the next month from Shasta to get to that uh, flood curve. But again, the, the great news with that is, is that we're going to be starting the, the water year with a uh, full water supply, and you know, which is great because I think that means that if there's uh, another uh, flood year, that uh, there's going to be enough flood space in uh, these reservoirs to be able to manage the floods. And if it uh, turns to be another dry year and we revert back to that, then we at least start the year with already good water supplies. So I think we really just need to give the uh, operators of these projects a lot of credit. They really do a nice job, I think, in, in helping the state prepare for whatever type of year we're going to have in 2024. What the current water supply means for 2024 deliveries is a $64,000 question. Guy says he remains optimistic that users will once again get full deliveries, but he says it's still too early to tell. What happens this winter will play a big part in ash deliveries next spring. The Bureau of Reclamation, which operates the Central Valley Project, historically has made its initial delivery forecast in mid-February. Boy, that's the, of course, the question that everybody would love to know is, you know, what are the water supplies going to look like? Again, I think, you know, it's way too early, obviously, to predict what any of the water supplies from the projects will be. But I think, again, the year is set up so nicely that I think right now you just have to be optimistic and kind of assume that uh, we're going to be getting 100% supplies in most parts of the state from the uh, surface water storage. But again, it's, you know, we, we won't know that until uh, things start to set up, obviously, in late winter, early spring of next year. But Again, it's just off to a really nice start, and I think if you're somebody who relies upon a water supply, you uh, definitely are going into the year optimistic. It's been 10 years since then-Governor Jerry Brown signed the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act to balance groundwater extraction with groundwater recharge. Although developing the required groundwater management plans has been tough, Guy says they also have forced local agencies to take a good hard look at water supplies. Sigma also has raised the stature of groundwater recharge, and he says that momentum needs to continue. Despite the pluses he sees, Guy says some areas with severe groundwater overdraft will have to make the painful decision to reduce pumping. Well, I think from where we sit, I think Sigma's just been a really helpful process. Uh, it's a hard process, and it's painful for, for many. I know that. But I think it's just been a really helpful process for local agencies to be able to manage their water supplies and to be able to better understand the water supplies. So I think, again, as you think about going into this next year, I think because of Sigma in large part, I think we're better prepared for next year, not knowing, of course, what the weather is going to look like. But I think a couple of examples of that, if there is a deficit in areas, which there are obviously in many parts of the state, boy, what a great year to start thinking about groundwater recharge, right? And I think there's a lot of momentum on groundwater recharge in California, but there needs to be a whole lot more because, again, particularly now when we have surface water supplies, uh, we need to put as much of that water into the ground as we can while obviously serving all the other needs that the surface water supplies meet. And then I think beyond that, uh, hopefully we'll get better forecasting. You know, the advanced technologies, I think, are really starting to help with forecasting. And again, I think that just really helps people kind of predict when that water is available, and hopefully that will help with, with Sigma as well. So I think there's a lot of really good efforts that are going on at the local agencies for people to better prepare for groundwater management. And uh, unfortunately, in some areas, you know, there's just going to have to be reductions in, in groundwater pumping. That's the plain fact of the matter, but uh, that's uh, what we're going to need if we're going to have balanced groundwater conditions. The State Water Board recently released a 6,000-page proposal on updates to the Bay Delta Water Quality Plan, 
and specifically for the Sacramento River and its tributaries. The efforts have been dubbed unimpaired flows by some. The state has proposed that diverters leave up to 55% of flows in the Sacramento River and its tributaries at certain times of the year to improve fishery survival and Bay Delta water quality. But Guy says large water flows have done little to improve fisheries during the past 50 years. Instead, many users have proposed integrated approaches known as voluntary agreements. They include pulse flows during specific fish development stages and habitat improvement. Among the practices that has shown promise is raising small salmon fingerlings during the winter in flooded rice fields where they feed on a smorgasbord of microbial life. When they're released in the spring, they're much larger than their counterparts who had to fend for themselves in streams and creeks. Larger fish have a better chance of survival as they swim downstream and out to the ocean. The State Water Board uh, this last week did issue its staff report and its uh, SED, which is the environmental document for implementing the Bay Delta Plan. I think the essence is that it does have alternatives for moving forward with the Bay Delta Plan. We know what that 55% unimpaired flow alternative looks like. It's devastating for cities, it's devastating for farming, it's devastating for the terrestrial environment, and it probably won't help fish and wildlife in the Delta. So the 55% option is just a non-starter, would be devastating for California, which of course is why the governor and I think the political leadership in California has really tried to help catalyze the idea of the voluntary agreements, what we're now calling the agreements to support healthy rivers and landscapes. And I think that is an option that is in the uh, state water board's approach. I think it's going to be incumbent upon the, the water suppliers uh, working with the state and federal agencies to really advance that uh, voluntary agreement process enough over the next year so that at some point the state water board can basically look at the alternatives and say, you know, we think the voluntary agreement option is much better for California than a 55% unimpaired flow. And uh, we're going to have to work really hard to get there. But uh, I think the water supply community is really unified and really strongly uh, convicted uh, to get there. What uh, the voluntary agreement process offers these, again, the agreements for healthy rivers and landscapes, it really offers a new approach. For the last 52 years in California, since decision 1379, the state water board's really been focused on the same approach, more water in the Delta, more water in the Delta. And we all know that during that last 50 years, the fish have declined and water supply reliability has declined. So it kind of raises the question, why do we just keep doing the same thing? I think that's what this transformative agreements to support healthy rivers and landscapes offers. It's a different approach. It's let's try something different. And that basically is that integrated approach of basically finding that sweet spot between getting water and the landscape interacting in a way that will actually help the fish. We'll provide the food supplies for the fish that they need. They're starving right now. It will provide some safe haven for the fish. And uh, at least the scientists at the University of California and pretty much throughout the world are telling us that getting this water on the landscape and getting it interacting with the landscape is the only way that we're going to help fish. And of course, if you think about the Central Valley, that was the way it functioned, you know, in nature before we had 40 million people in the state. You had that water out on the landscape during the good portion of the winter and spring. And then that was what the fish uh, grew upon. 
That's what they ate upon. And so that is really what we're trying to, to mimic. And the great news is we think we can still do that with the existing California and do that in a way that makes sure that we have public safety and also help provide uh, benefits for fish and wildlife and doing that in harmony with farming and cities and rural communities. Weather experts are forecasting a 95% chance of El Nino conditions between December 2023 and February 24. For California, that could mean wetter than normal conditions. Regardless of whether the forecasts come to fruition, the state should still be in a much better water situation entering the 2024 growing season than it was just two years ago when it was mired in a prolonged drought. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. Congress is paralyzed amid a House speaker void and a looming new shutdown cliff next month, preventing action on spending and policy bills like the Farm Bill. The House can do little, if any, legislative work until it elects a new speaker, while the Senate struggles to advance its own spending bills amid a shutdown threat looming again next month. Senate GOP Whip John Thune says they have until November 17th. We have a short amount of time and a lot of work to get done. The House passed four spending bills but killed its USDA Food and Drug Administration bill over farm program cuts and limits on a mail-order abortion drug. The Senate passed no spending bills. Democratic leader Chuck Schumer. We're working very hard in the Senate to get things done. We have passed 12 bills out of committee, bipartisan appropriations bills, and now we are working to get those bipartisan bills to the floor of the Senate. But that won't matter until new House speakers picked and bills move again there to avert a shutdown. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell. Well, I think the obvious answer is we need to get a speaker and hopefully we'll get one by next week. And I'll repeat what I said earlier, which is I think to do that job for anyone, you have to get rid of the motion to vacate. That allows a single House member to try to oust the speaker, putting that person, McConnell says, in a hammerlock. House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson, in the meantime, told the roll call paper that McCarthy's historic ouster may have blown up any meaningful legislation like the Farm Bill, and he's even unsure an extension can make it through a distracted and divided House. The 2024 World Ag Expo season was kicked off recently by show chair Stan Creelman. The kickoff dinner in late September was attended by volunteers, staff, and invited guests. It was a chance to get together and set the tone for the coming show. He says he's honored to serve as the 2024 World Ag Expo chair. The theme for the show is the best farm show on dirt. The annual show is produced by the International Agri Center, a nonprofit focused on year-round agricultural education. Entering its 57th year, the World Ag Expo is the largest annual outdoor ag trade show in the world. In 2023, the expo saw 108,223 people come from 49 states and 56 countries. With more than 1,200 exhibitors and 2.6 million square feet of exhibit space, the event provides a platform for networking and and education. Head of the Natural Resources Conservation Service, Terry Cosby, talks about climate-smart conservation practices and the partnership between landowners and NRCS technical staff to put such practices into action. Most of our practices, some of them are standalone, but some of them work better when they're in conjunction with other things. Let's talk about cover crops. We've really focused on a lot of that, and we have really done well talking about let's get some type of cover on this ground and not leave it fallow. That has been pretty popular. When we talk about no-till farming, 
reducing the amount of inputs, reducing the amount of trips across the field. When you look at it, we talk about our grazing systems and going out and making sure you're productive as far as your cattle is concerned and having grass for them to eat. We have 175 different standards in our repertoire. And if you name it, we probably got it. And our professionals out there are the ones that come out and talk and say, hey, these are some recommendations we'd like to make. And what do you think about this? And sometimes the producer pretty much knows what they want to do. It's just refining it and talking and seeing how they will fit into some of these programs. And so it works pretty well with like, this one-on-one contact, this one-on-one discussion in the field with the producer. And then this becomes a long-term partnership. Applications for fiscal year 2024 environmental quality incentives program and conservation stewardship program with a focus on climate smart farming are now being accepted at all USDA service center locations. The USDA's improving crop insurance options for specialty crop and organic producers, including rolling out new and expanded options based on feedback from America's producers. They're committed to working with specialty crop and organic producers to develop options that fit their needs, according to Risk Management Agency Administrator Marsha Bunger. From 1990 to 2022, liabilities for insured specialty crops rose from $1 billion to more than $23 billion. Over the past 20 years, the number of individual specialty crops insured under the crop insurance program grew by 20 Currently, there are over 70 individual specialty crops insured under the crop insurance options. New insurance options include the Transitional and Organic Grower Assistance Program and Tropical Storm Coverage. American Farmland Trust will sponsor the new PBS National Public Series called America the Bountiful with its premier plan for spring of 2024. The new project is a food history and travel series exploring the regional food traditions of America's heartland. It will help viewers learn more about the culture. It will help viewers learn more about culture and find inspiration in the chronicles of farmers, artisans, restaurateurs, and home cooks through the bounty they grow, produce, and eat, according to AFT. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.